I was on my own. I mean, obviously single dad and all that, but it was the first time I really had leaned in and wrestled with my faith just myself, right? It was like, what does this mean to me? How do I want to live out my faith? Not because of what anyone else is telling me or because of the marriage that I'm in or any of this kind of stuff. It was like, I just was able to really just pour all of my recent, you know, all of myself into, into faith and really forming, I think, a strong faith. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church/ysm. We hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back to part two of Cole and Jess's story. Uh, if you did not listen to Jess's story last week, you can keep listening to this one. It'll make sense. Um, but I really encourage you to pause right now and go back and listen to it because it really is the power of their stories together that, that lead to um, what we're going to talk about at the end, which is really what I hope people uh, get to hear and listen to and, and wrestle with and understand. And so um, go ahead and pause Cole's story right now. Jump back to Jess, listen to part one, then, then hop back to part two. And then when you're done with that, listen to all of them. Um, really listen to a bunch of people sharing and being vulnerable about faith and what God has done and how God has brought them through the low moments, but how God has carried them uh, even higher during these incredible moments. And, you know, to sum up this entire podcast, it's that God can do more with your story if you let him. But really as a listener, it's seeing how good God is um, through what people have been through. And I will just say, as we head toward the end of this podcast series, that people have been through everything. Um, and uh, and more. And so whatever you are wrestling with, whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, doubts, pain, brokenness you have, I can guarantee there's a story that you could listen to that you will resonate with. You know, every story is unique. Everyone's uh, pain is unique. Everyone's joy is unique. Um, but God being present in those things is, is true throughout all of them. So I encourage you, listen to this episode, uh, listen both Jess and Cole's together, then jump back, listen to all of them, and uh, it'll be great. And so Cole... Uh, we're going back to the beginning. Jess led us up to the point where you guys met. Um, she left us hanging a little bit on a few stories about the Shaved Ice Social, so I'm excited to hear that one. Um, also made it very clear that I almost destroyed this before it ever began. Uh, so I'm thankful that I did. I did more than destroy. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so we almost destroyed this. Um, no, I, I'm excited to get to that point, but I want to start at the beginning. Tell us, where did you grow up? What was your family dynamic like? And what was faith like? Um, really up to the point of get us to like middle school, high school, and let's start wrestling with, okay, what was that like um, in your childhood? But what was like kind of the beginning years like? So I was born just next door to where Jess was born. I was born in Texas. Uh, Both my parents grew up in the Midwest, but uh, my dad took a job out of college in Texas. So we moved, you know, to this faraway place, um, which we'll get to more um, when talking about like family dynamics and stuff like that. But um, I was born in Texas. We lived there um, until the summer I turned nine. 
and then we moved to Maryland at that point. Um, I think looking back, I didn't really realize it at the time, but I do remember when we, you know, we talked about moving and, and the challenges with, yeah. with moving. Um, and that was definitely when we moved from Texas to Maryland, that was a major, you know, a major shock. Obviously yeah. as a kid, I mean, I remember, you know, you don't really even think about things too far into the future at nine years old, but I remember, you know, my best friend at the time who's, you know, still, one of my best friends to this day, thankfully. But I just remember at the time being like, "Wait, am I ever gonna? Am I ever gonna see him again?" Yeah. Um, and so you know, it w- and it was like, "Yeah, we're leaving tomorrow." And um, yeah, so um, it was just kind of an uprooting that yeah. I had never really known. I think up until that point. So we moved, and you know, we had this kind of in between. We moved to Germantown. We lived in this apartment um, for a year, and I remember when we first got there, our stuff. You know, the company my dad worked for moved all of our stuff. So we just showed up with nothing. And then something happened with all of our stuff. So we ended up spending like almost a week in this apartment with like no furniture, no stuff. In that intervening time, my great-grandfather passed away. And I just remember like this guy showing up at our door telling my parents. You know, because back then you don't have, don't have cell phones and we hadn't got our phone hooked up. And like nobody knew who oh, we yeah. were. So my, my grandfather, you know, he called the uh, – he just called – Manor Woods, and uh, like the closest church, the closest Christ church, find. yeah, the closest Christian church he could find. Yeah. So I just remember, you know, him coming knocking on our door, and like we'd never met him or anything like that, and he would shared the news with us. And, and so that first year, or really, it was really nine months. I think it was we only lived there, I think, for nine months, or maybe, maybe it was a full year. But I just remember that was a really, really yeah. difficult year because yeah. you know, I was the new kid in school. Yeah. Did you feel like you kind of stood out a little bit, or did you just try to like? shrink back and I, yeah I started getting in trouble in third grade and um, I remember my mom saying to me like as I was nervous and kind of going through that whole thing of going to a new school and, and a new place and she's like you know it, it'll be okay this is like a this is a new start you know you can just sort of you know you can treat it like that never happened sure right? and yeah. this is a whole new start and I think I mean I think that was good advice I think she was right about that but I actually see patterns in my life from that point. I learned that it's like, and I think Jake talked about this, um, whereas like I figured out that I can just put that back there yeah, and I can just act almost like that doesn't exist and I don't really like deal with any of that stuff. And um, I think there was definitely culture shock. It just felt, yeah, it just felt different. I I didn't quite, I think at that age, didn't really know what that was like, but I just remember feeling like, the people, like the kids I went to school with were like harsh, yeah. right? Like it was just a different social dynamic. Yeah. It was just very, you know, one day after school, um, walking off the bus and this one kid that I was kind of friends with that lived in the apartment complex, he just like turned around and just knocked me right in the face. The and heck? I was like, what is going on? And he was convinced that like I had said something about his little brother and all this kind of stuff. And it was just, I never experienced anything like yeah. that. Like before, you know, that was really my... You know, and I mean, some of that could have been moving from Texas to Maryland. Some of that could have just been age. Yeah, right? yeah, um, yeah. As you start to grow up. So we stayed there, stayed down in the Germantown area for about a year. Um, and then my parents had, you know, this whole time they'd been looking around for like places to kind of set down roots. And Mount Area was the, the place they ultimately picked. So we moved there, wow. which was different, right, than Germantown. That yeah. was, again, like within a year, you know, I went from Texas to Maryland and then Maryland and then you know Germantown which is much more 
you know, I would say it's crowded, it's diverse, crowded, yeah. urban, yeah, metropolitan. I guess was yeah, maybe the yeah. word I was looking for. And then yeah. and then we moved to Mount Airy, which is this place that which was nothing. So then and then so you know three schools in three years. So I go to fifth grade. Uh, it's fifth grade. Oh, yeah. that, that's my fifth yep. grade year. And of course then realizing at some point that now I'm going to go to a whole different school for sixth grade. So really for like four straight years, you know, I went to, to four different schools, which I think was tough, but in terms of like where faith fit in yeah. and all that faith has always been at the center of everything. My family um, has done, particularly, you know, my parents, yep. but also both sets of my grandparents, I mean, that's really all I've ever known is faith being at the center of what we do. And, you know, so obviously, you know, the story I told about finding out about my my grand, my great grandfather passing. So obviously it was kind of a natural connection then to Manor Woods. And so, yeah, we went to Manor Woods. Did you go there when you moved to Mount Airy as well? Because that's not a close. So we did go there for a brief period of time. So you went to Manor Woods, which if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, is kind of comes up like in different people's stories. Did you know Bethany or Chris know of each other when yeah, you were kids? We did. Okay. Um, she has more memory of me than I did of her. I sure. remember like her name and stuff like that. And then I, I do remember Chris Pennington and like I remember they talked about doing Bible Bowl and stuff yeah. like that. And so we crossed paths doing Bible Bowl. Oh, yeah. It's such a weird when theme in this and... podcast, the amount of people that did Bible Bowl. <laughs> we, uh, uh, we did not do Bible Bowl the, at my megachurch. That's good. So that's one thing you had so I... many people, you had your own Bible Bowl yeah. inside of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you kind of go to Manor Woods. It's a long drive. And then did you find a new church when you moved up to Mount Airy? Um, so we went to Manor Woods for a short period of time after moving to Mount Airy. I think it was just kind of one of those, you know, my parents trying to figure out what we were going to do. They knew that driving to Rockville every every Sunday was not the best. Um, so we did that. I don't remember how long, but eventually we settled on going to a church um, that is now um, Grace Community Christian Church. Yeah. used to be First Christian Church um, over off of Rosemont here in Frederick, actually. So instead of driving to Rockville, I guess my parents thought yeah, that's, driving to Frederick. That's, um, that's equally complicated. Yeah, it was. Okay. And it, it did. I mean, I remember, I remember like Sunday mornings being like, oh my gosh, we got to like drive back and forth. And then inevitably after church, you know, my dad would want to like run errands and do all this stuff. Cause we were actually in Frederick where you could get things cause yeah. there's nothing in Mount Airy. And so as far as faith, I think I would say around sixth, seventh grade, it started to to click really like feeling Jesus's closeness and things like that I think came more like late middle school early high okay. school but I do remember putting my faith in Jesus getting baptized it was around I was 12 I think I was around 12 and I just remember my mom telling me um, or sharing with me encouraging me and saying you know I really think as you're preparing for this transition in life which was middle school yeah that you really need to have Jesus at the center. And I remember, like, I still remember that conversation that really stuck out to me. And especially as a parent now, I understand, like, yeah, middle school yeah. is such a transitional yes. period. Yeah. And it's, it sucks, really, honestly. Um, it's a hard time of life. And so having Jesus at the center, I think, was, of course, I didn't really know what that meant. Uh, I didn't really, you know, know how to live that out necessarily. Um, but I think it was putting my putting my faith in Jesus making that decision going into middle school uh, was a good foundation. Yeah. Gives you something to call back to, something to hold on to yep. as you kind of start dealing with the mess that you know, we talk a lot at collective right now about how hard middle school is. 
and really it's been that way forever. You know, now I think it's getting harder earlier for kids, just the way culture is pushing them and pulling them in all these directions. But middle school is such a formative time that you need to have some sort of foundation Um, because you grew up in the church to make that decision at that age makes sense. But you mentioned that it really started to kind of like thrive and you started to feel that closeness to Jesus as you got a little bit older. Um, So talk to us about that. Like what, what started to happen, you know, as you guys kind of settled in to Frederick, Mount Airy, what kind of helped that faith stuff start to click? Were you still struggling in school at the time? Like how does all this stuff like kind of mesh in the middle school slash early high school years? As far as formative experience, right? So as faith starts to become my own, really was less about church on Sunday morning, right? Yeah. That was something we always did. Uh, I think deep down I looked forward to it. And certainly as I got older, you know, middle school, high school, and we had a youth group, um, that obviously made it something I definitely looked forward to. And then church camp, you know, that was a very, that ended up being a very formative experience, both from, you know, just a social perspective and getting to be around other kids that are at least pretended like they had faith sure. yeah, um, yeah. And, and stuff like that. But I mean, I do remember one experience in particular, we had just finished worship, you know, the evening worship, right? So you do all your stuff during the day, the different things, and then usually we'd have dinner and then, uh, you know, an evening worship. Yeah session and um, so we'd finished that up and they sent us out and basically it was like yeah just go out and find you know a quiet place to pray it's and like church camp 101 yeah it is <laughs> it's like it's very church camp yeah um but i remember like sitting out there and i i loved to go i loved it right but i didn't really like feel it yeah and i think some of that's developmental like i was just a kid but i think as i've gotten older i've realized like it, it's more it tends to be more you know in my head uh, more logical um, less I'm less of a feeler although I mean um, I think I've grown in that as well but you know so I put my put my faith in Jesus at 12 but it was like I don't know that that was accompanied by some big like you know sure um, there's no rush of wind there's no you know like it's it happens and you feel a difference but it's not it, it baptism doesn't necessarily get you to where you end up eventually, right? Because and and we know that because you look back yep. and you're like, oh crap, that wasn't the peak. It is a peak moment, but when it comes to their actual relationship with Jesus, it's it then like kind of swings him back and says, okay, now this is the baseline, right? So you have that at twelve, but you know you've never really felt like kind of the growth and, and the movement up of that. We we joked about how it's like church camp one hundred and one, and every church camp they do that. You have this like powerful worship set, and they're like, go be by yourself. And while it feels weird. That is so important to our faith is the quiet and the silence because like, you know, up to that point, church was a regular part of your life. Prayer is a regular part of your life. Worship is a regular part of your life. Serving is a regular part of your life. But drawing out and kind of sitting in it isn't, you know, and it's not a part of most people's lives even now. So like as a kid, you have this unique experience. And so like, do you feel like that's when things started to feel different yeah definitely I, I just remember I found you know a spot out in the field and I just kind of sat out there and I just remember looking up at the sky and it was like a clear night you could see the stars and there was just something about like it felt it was like I felt Jesus's presence yeah. for the first time and from there I felt a pretty strong sense of conviction about you know different things in my life, um, sinful parts of my life and things that, you know, I was doing that I shouldn't be doing or, um, you know, ways in which 
my faith needed to grow and needed to be stronger. So it was like the first time I really felt Jesus's presence. Yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah. How old were you? Do you think? Mm, probably some 13, 14. Okay. Yeah. So do you feel like that really propelled you through the next few years? It was a good push. Um, I don't remember. I, I think it might've been that summer. My dad came to pick me up from church camp and you know, the church we were going to at the time, we were going through some challenging, it was a challenging season as a kid. Like that's really all I knew. My dad was an elder at the church and, um, you know, he talked a little bit about some of the struggles they were having over some theological issues. He would tell me stuff, but I, I you know, I, I don't think I fully grasped it, but I remember he picked me up that summer from church camp and we were driving back and he just told me, we asked the pastor to resign and we went through all this stuff. And that was, um, I think that was my first experience with like, oh, well, church is, you know, not all that different than many other institutions mm-hmm. that that we have in this world. And, and you know, I, I, so, yeah, I got to see a church split. You're holding these like two things that are like very, you know, having this experience individually at church camp and then having this like seeing my dad go through this experience of a church splitting and being involved with like him having a hard time with what was happening, but also feeling helpless and sort of powerless to make it different. Yeah. Um, I think it, yeah, it propelled, certainly propelled me for the rest of that summer. Um, but yeah, school started back up. Um, and I think for the most part, the rest of my high school experience, I would describe as one foot firmly in faith and one foot firmly in the world. Right. Yeah. When Jess shared her story, you know, she shared this like very small, when this bubble kind of that she grew up in and we've talked about that where you know it's we just had we just had vastly different experiences <laughs> yeah, yeah. um it was interesting I, I followed on certain things but then there was like other things that i drew a hard line on and would never do which was sort of it, it was this interesting thing where it's like why is it that on this one thing sure. are these two things i feel so firmly convicted but then on everything else it was like i was just willing to do whatever and just roll along with what everybody else wanted to do and just kind of didn't seem to have much of a backbone. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, you get through high school and you decide ultimately you're like, I hate Maryland. You moved back to Texas, right? I did April of my senior year of high school. And I was like, Oh yeah, I should maybe go to college. (laughs) So my friend, my friend at the time, who I had become friends with him, probably in you know, 10th grade, and uh, I know we talk a lot about, I think you just talked about this, the show me, your five, show me the five people you yeah. spend the most time with and I'll show you your future. Yeah. And this person, who was accompanied by probably about four or five other people, yeah. almost represented a turning point, right? Yeah, he just, we, we brought out the worst in each mm. other. But he was... He was like, yeah, I'm going to Shepherd, And so I was like, oh, well, that sounds good. And I'll get to go to school with, you know, my friend and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yep. So, well, I didn't really even decide. I just followed, right? I just kind of like rode this wave. And yeah. So I got off to Shepherd, and it was okay. It, it wasn't, it was like so many other things. And of course, I didn't realize it at the time, but it, like it really wasn't what I wanted. It really wasn't. Yeah. I didn't form any thoughts really around what I wanted to do. So, of course, I go into this experience and it's just kind of, eh. Going to Shepherd's 45 minutes away. I'm living on campus, but I'm driving home on the weekends oh, okay. to go to church. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I didn't really get into like all the college things and stuff like that, partying and stuff like that. I didn't do any of that. So, back home, 
another church split is happening. Okay. So we went through. So the first time, you know, that I already talked about, it was on. It was more theological, and the second time, it was all just personality. Personal. It yeah. was, you know, people didn't like each other and all this stuff. But again, my dad's an elder. He's kind of stuck in the middle of all this stuff. And I think the first time it was, oh wow, people. Even in churches, we have disagreements and we split, move on, do those kind of things. But the second time it was like, oh, people can be really it was ugly. Nasty. Uh, and they're ugly in like very public ways. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of going on in the background of, you know, this first couple of years of college. And then I think it's end of freshman year. I met through a friend. I met, you know, who would eventually become my first wife. Became serious very quickly. You know, during my sophomore year, I remember there was an instance with, you know, these friends that I kind of talked about really bringing me down and, and whatnot. They wanted to all go to a strip club. And I was like, that's one of the things I'll never do. Like, you'll have to kill me before I go do something like that. Wow. And of course, they just thought that was the, the stupidest thing. And of course, they did the whole like, oh, that's just because you have a girlfriend and they do all that. That was the first time I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I need to do something different with my life. So I just, I just kind of like left it behind it was like all those friends i was like i'm never talking to you guys wow. again the only problem with that is that the guy from high school that i talked about by this time we're rooming together yeah, yeah. so we spent an entire semester rooming together and yeah. not speaking to each yeah. other and we even have mutual friends come over and we would have like these weird conversations where like i was talking to him and then he was talking to him and like it's it was it was strange but i knew at that point that like i needed to finish the semester i needed to finish what I was doing for that year of school, but I needed to go somewhere else. Yeah. And then that relationship with who would be, eventually become my first wife, you know, fell apart for a time. And then it was like, I really had time just to sit back, just to step back and really evaluate. It was the first time it was like, there was no significant other. There was really no friends. Yeah. So it was like the first time I really could sit there and be like, all right, what is it that I, what is it that I want to do? And yeah. I was like, I want to go back to Texas. It was just a place I loved. Like as a kid, it was wonderful and I was just filled with great memories. So I made the decision to go to Abilene Christian. I wrestled with that for a while. There was actually another school I wanted to go to. And I remember, again, my mom. So it's like, you know, what we always say, we got to listen to our moms. But I remember as I was wrestling with this, my mom just said to me, I think it would be better if you're going to move 1,500 miles from home to go to a place that they don't just look at you like you know, another student in their class, sure. but they care about your spiritual, your spirituality and your yeah. spiritual development. Yeah. And I think I was ready at that age finally to hear, so I pushed back so much on what my parents would tell me, um, through most of, you know, my teenage years. And that was like the first time I was like, you know, I think, I think my mom is right about that. Um, and I think that is something I should prioritize. Yeah. So that was really what pushed that, pushed me to make that decision. And then to go to Abilene yeah. Christian was like, yeah, I want to go somewhere where, um, spiritualities because I, I could tell I never visited some one of those crazy people I yeah, never did a yeah. college visit I enrolled there and went there completely sight unseen other than what you could look at on the internet yeah. in 2004 when I got there and culturally again different you know Bible Belt yep it was very very clear that it was you know at the top of what the what you know what the school was all about and was woven into the fabric even though it is a very I mean, you can go there and get degrees in everything. Yep. And it was like that then. That was another thing that attracted me. It was like, well, I can go get a liberal arts education in something that's not like 
you know, it's not seminary, it's not yep. that kind of thing. Yep. But I'll get I'll get that yep. supplemented. Yeah, because you didn't go for ministry. Nope. You know, schools like Milligan, like um, Abilene, they're not those types of schools where you can go for those things, but also it has like a wide array of other degrees, which is what you ended up doing while you were there. So I made this decision, you know, to go go into summer. So this is summer two thousand four, and we go on this family vacation similar to how I'd done with other relationships, that relationship was over to me, right? Yeah. It was like, yeah. I don't want to go back to that. But she had a relationship with my parents. And so my parents were like still friends with her. You know, so she came and house at our house while we went on vacation. And that was kind of like this, that then it became this, you know, then we started like communicating and talking again. Later that summer, we went to a family wedding and just got like wrapped up and like the emotions of sure. all of that stuff. And I remember I was, t- I told my dad, I'm like, I'm gonna ask her to marry me. And he's like, you're gonna do what? I finally made this decision that was my own, I was gonna go, but I, I, I kept like part of myself um, out sure. of that yeah. and made that decision to ask this person to marry me, so I did. And so then I ended up going to school, you know, moving to Texas with this like long distance relationship just turned 20 yeah. so and, and obviously having this like long you know so I go to this new place and I think I really wanted to like get in I really wanted to get involved and like really it be something that was my own but then I had this long distance relationship yep. and I felt tied to that so I kind of like secluded myself I just went to class every day um, didn't really get involved in anything I enjoyed it I loved the education loved the professors I had and so I made some friendships that way but I didn't really like invest in the school, college, life experience. So yeah, so we got engaged August of 04, and then I went to a year, I went to school for a year, and then that next summer we actually got married. So okay. then, then we're married, and I have one more year left, and so she moved. Okay. She moved down. So yeah, I spent the last year of college married, which is like wow. a whole different experience altogether. Like you feel like a fish out of water a little bit. Yeah. It was just the worst possible collection of circumstances, I think. It was a tough year. And then, of course, so, you know, we moved back moved back to Texas in September, you know, August time frame, you know, to go back to school. And then January, find out that, you know, first kid's coming. You know, it's a theme. Like, I just you just kind of, like, drift along in life. Sure. Right? And, you, and, and it's like I tell, ironically, my, my oldest son. You know, I tell him now because I see him. Do, I see some of those same things in him. Yeah. And I, I tell him all the time, I'm like, if you don't, do, if you don't really sit and wrestle with this, what you want to do with it, then at five, ten years from now, you're going to look back and go, all this stuff happened to yes. me. Yeah. Um, and so I think some of that passivity that I've struggled with and still struggle with really manifests, I think, in a lot of those things. I didn't really realize it at the time, but I got myself into those situations. You know, it, it was certainly a dream. I wanted to, have, wanted to get married. I mean, from the time I was like 16, 17, I was like, I can't wait to be married and have kids and all yeah. that. It was a dream. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it felt like I was really pushing into what I really wanted. But I didn't really give much thought to like, is this, is this really the right person? Is this really the right time? Yeah. You know, does it make sense in the course of my life? What are the other things God wants me to do? Yeah, and that all changes when you're a college senior who is about to have a baby. What's crazy, though, is like, you know, again, if you listen to the podcast, there's people who end up 21, 22 years old with a baby on the way, and it comes at the heels of like a lot of what we would call bad decisions. It doesn't have to be these terrible things that can still lead us to a place like passivity in general. 
can lead us down both those paths, but still lead us to a place where we're stepping back going, what the heck is going on with my life? And it's really hard in your early 20s to, to pivot. And so you, you graduate, then go back to Maryland, right? And then have a baby. Or were you guys still in Texas? So, yeah, we in Texas. So uh, my oldest son was born in Texas, um, October. So I ended up having to go uh, an extra semester. Okay. So I finished that year. Came, we did end up coming back for the summer um, and then and then moved back so I could finish that last semester. So he was born during that last semester in Texas. And I actually, I really wanted to stay, right? So Because yeah. obviously I went there for a reason. I went there because yeah. that's what I wanted to do. But then now I have this problem that, you know, the person I'm married to doesn't want really to do that. And there was really not a lot of opportunities. I got a degree in political science, which, you know, it's because I wanted to go to law school. But by this time, I'd kind of given up on that through some family friends, um, ended up finding a job. And actually, somebody told me even, like, you should go work in that space and see if you like it before you go spend all that money. And so I did. I worked at a firm in D.C. for a couple years and realized pretty quick that that was not the life that that I wanted. So I think we stayed in Texas until like April. So this was in 2007. So April, 2007, and then, you know, moved back, you know, faith was still very much, you know, central part of life at this point. It seemed like it was for her. And that was part of the decision-making to, to, you know, pursue marriage and all that was, it seemed like things were trending in that direction. She didn't grow up in a home that way. So pretty quickly, after coming up here, found a church and time went on. Yeah, I think it's like a lot of us, you know, whenever you're having kids, it's kind of like this blur, right? Like yeah. it's just the years go by all of a sudden. And then when the kids got to like once they were all kind of out of the preschool phase and we're into like kindergarten and all that stuff, things started to get strange. That was when yeah. things kind of like I think things came to the surface and some of the issues that had been underneath the surface for a long time um, started to come up. What ends up happening a lot of times is we have kids and then we're no longer kind of in that survival mode. But if there's issues in a marriage or in, in yourself even, they become really obvious. How quickly did that stuff start to fall apart? So yeah, you're right. All of those, the early years of kids is very, it just like, like I've talked about, it was something to just carry you through, right? It was like, this is something I can just pour my energy into and it has like its own momentum and energy. So I'm just going to roll along with that. And I was fine with that. I was just fine with life as it was. And, um, but it became pretty clear around the 28, 2017, 2018, it became pretty clear that, that that wasn't, you know, her desire. Um, also at the same time, at least for, for you and your family, um, you know, you've, you've mentioned some of like the bad church past for your parents. Like they, at that point we're at a different church and you guys were going to another one, like kind of involved, maybe not leaning in as much as like in the past, like your dad wasn't an elder there. Collective starts, really long story short, your dad finds out about Collective through the fact that he's on the board at Milligan, and that's where I went. While we are non-denominational, we're in the the same family, the same, we call it the restoration movement. And so um, you knew like biblically what we would teach and we would do communion every Sunday, celebrate baptism, those things that are very core to Christianity and core to the church, but specifically were very core to you guys. And, but this time, like you, you kind of went from, and you mentioned earlier, like there was some faith desire in your family. Um, you know, you had gone to church, you'd gone to church as a family for a little bit, but all of a sudden you kind of walk in 
to collective and it really is like you came here as a single dad it wasn't quite that timeline but like you're leaning in here also was hey we don't know cole as a married man essentially you know we knew you as a guy going through a divorce and that was like when you started coming here three kids ages spread out pretty far your parents had been coming here first so there's also a part of it too where you're like do I do I fit, how do I fit in here? Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about what that was like, um, and then how that led to at some point. You know, you guys catch eyes in the lobby, whatever it is. But like that, that is a big part of it as well. So so yeah, I had been going, you know, and with my family, we'd been going to to a different church here in Frederick for a long time. Pretty kind of as you alluded to, one of the things my parents in particular have sort of taught me and instilled in me is, you know, this the concept of relationships and uh, and maintaining relationships over long periods of time. And so went to this other church and we were very sort of, um, you know, involved and it was a community and all that. So obviously then all the divorce stuff starts happening. And so that's a break, right, from that because a lot sure. of relationships in that church. Sure. And so that was a strange time because it was like, I don't know, quite, I know like some of the people um, who are still close to me now, you know, knew they were so close, like they knew what to do, right? They yeah. knew they knew how to support, but like other people, not as much. But it was like, it felt strange to go, you know, my parents had started coming to Collective and I was like, do I really want to go to the same church as my parents? Um, that was a real yeah. thought. And then also like, if I cast all this other church away, like how does all that, like it's very difficult, it was a very difficult thing to navigate, like, but I knew, I did come to a point where I just knew, like, I needed to close the door on the church I was going to, and not because, not anything to do with the church. Um, and I still have friends that go there, but it just was like, that part of my life needs to, like, I need yeah. to close the door on that, and I need to walk into something new. So I started coming to Collective in, you know, like, 20, late 2018, 2019, and like Jess said, uh, I think 2019 was, like, the peak year of life, really. It was really... I think when I was on my own, I mean, obviously single dad and all that, but it was the first time I really had leaned in and wrestled with my faith just myself, right? It was like, what does this mean to me? How do I want to live out my faith? Not because of what anyone else is telling me or because of the marriage that I'm in or any of this kind of stuff. It was like, I just was able to really just pour all of my recent, you know, all of myself into, into faith and really forming, I think, a strong faith during that time. So I think it was probably, it was sometime like late 2019. I, I don't remember when we were introduced to each other exactly. Like we talked about, I'm not sure when that exact date was. It was sometime in 2019, but I do remember late 2019. It was before church and I was standing in the back. I don't even really remember what the specifics of the circumstance were, but you walked across the front and I just remember that was like the first time where I was like oh wow who is that well and you knew of Jess right because you yeah, guys because we were you were serving on team you guys were in that community but like you it, one of the ways that um, I remember you explained to me before your wedding was like you just saw her differently very spirit holy spirit driven of like yep. hey this is someone that you serve alongside someone that you have a lot in common with this is like God nudge of saying hey this is see this differently now she yeah and, and this specific thing was she's going to be a significant part of your life i remember that obviously then i was even more aware um and i remember i think it was maybe even that sunday that she was leaving 
she had Evie and Dean with her, and then she stopped and like talked to my parents, and I was like, oh wait, my parents know her. Okay, yeah, there's my end. Because <laughs> well, at the time, just a little backstory: um, his oldest son was in the youth collective. Yep. At my oh house. Yeah, 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 yeah. And his dad served as a youth collective leader, and yeah. so does, but at my house. So I, yeah. I did know. Um, his dad and yeah, his oldest son. Yeah, that's true. So, like, relationally speaking, <laughs> like, you had started to grow a relationship with them based mm-hmm. on, like, your involvement and stuff like that. Yeah. It's yep. interesting. Yep. It was like those butterfly feelings you get. Like, you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. But it's like, I really do want to know this person. Like, I want to get to know her. People had to bring, like, snacks for mm-hmm. Youth Collective yep. and all that. And so I tried my hand at making a couple things and bringing it into your house. And um, those are some, some of our earliest mm-hmm. I had butterflies then too, them. and they were real awkward. <laughs> well, and I think too, you guys have been out of the game for so long. Oh, like, yeah. Come on, you got because both yeah. of you got married really young, yeah. right? And life kind of allowed you to meet your significant others originally, right? Like you just kind of exist in the space. And you're like, oh my gosh, so they are, you know, college, you know, high school, like whatever it is, you know. And this was different because you guys both one were single parents. Two, you guys were both in a really great place spiritually, right? So you knew, you're like, man, I can't be with somebody. Like, now that I've felt this, the way I feel right now, I can't settle for lower than that. There's also the, the side of it, too, and you see this with people who have been through d- divorce or single parents where they're like, we've created a really good rhythm in life, just us, right? And it's scary to go, do I want to bring someone into this? Because we know we can handle this on our own. God's with me, got my good community, you know, family nearby, hobbies, like all that. So it makes sense that there's like this little bit of nerves and apprehensive apprehension and butterflies because you're like, man, this seems like it could be really good, but like it absolutely takes vulnerability, it takes risk, it takes you cannot exist into this relationship, right? And so for both of you, kind of leaning into these butterflies, it had to come from a place of health and growth and restoration because it would not have happened any other way. But at the same time, you have zero skills. It was, it was like we went back to middle school. Yeah, it really <laughs> it was, like, was. Yeah. So you guys like kind of bump into each other in 2019. But Jesse mentioned earlier, 2020 happens and life shuts down. So clearly like there isn't anything happening in March of 2020, April of 2020. But Jesse, you talked about the Nimeo parking lot. Again, us trying to build community. We knew there was good worship and good community, but then when it was taken away, we were like, oh, actually, this is better than what I think. We knew it was good, but, like, not having it, all of a sudden we're like, oh, man, like, this is good, and we need this. And so Collective was doing its best to, like, kind of manufacture these social things, and one of them was the Shave Thy Social, peak of the pandemic, but we were outside. Um, We got Kona Ice to come out. We set up a bunch of games and stuff, but apparently this is where Cole started to shoot his shot well Mm. he attempted we yeah so this is an opportunity right for us to like be in community in person but safely and to see each other again and so part of my actual role at that event was i was up at the entrance of the parking lot just waving people in and waving them out and um yeah and just greeting them Mm -hmm. and saying goodbye thank you for coming and so at the end of the event his parents were driving out of the parking lot and they saw me and they stopped and Cole was with the kids behind mm-hmm. oh, by oh by yourself yeah um right behind you know them and he you know I'm having a conversation with his parents and he just pulls up behind his parents and sits in his car I could have driven around like other people did so mm-hmm. yeah 
Okay. And I made note of that. I was like, interesting. He mm-hmm. might want to talk to me. But of course, you know, his parents talked for a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone who knows yeah. <laughs> Scott and the Monet, you always have good conversations. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we talked for probably a good five, ten minutes, and he still was not moving. And I was yeah. like, he, he actually probably wants to talk to me. Meanwhile, all these other cars uh-huh. are like leaving Everyone's the parking like, lot. I was here. like, or they're going, they're timing this, and they're going somewhere together. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, we either are really like noticing each other, even though we haven't seen each other yeah. in a while, or... Yeah. This is like, I'm making this up in my head. So then my parents drove away and then I did want, I did want to talk to you. That's why I was sitting there. But then my, as you know, my parents sat there forever talking to you. I just kept thinking about it and overthinking it, I'm sure. And uh, so then when my parents drove away, I just drove away. <laughs> and I watched him drive out of the parking lot. And I was like, oh, he really hasn't noticed me. And I, the immediately, way I, noticed him. I cool. immediately felt, I immediately just felt, I just felt so stupid after that. But then it, it was, it was like, okay, I'm definitely going. I just knew after that, that like, I have to reach out to her yeah. somehow. Um, and yeah, it was like later that week, mm-hmm. I reached out to you and. Then, you know, then we started like writing letters back and forth to each other, more or less. Yeah. It's such a cool part of your story because it is COVID. I think it would have been really easy, you know, Cole, you drive away that day and you think, why would this work? You know, especially because when when you've been divorced, you're like, and you've been on the receiving end of the infidelities. You're just like, why would I allow someone to hurt me like this again? You're still navigating all the other stuff. Yeah. It's not like the divorce has happened and it's like smooth sailing. Why did you take the risk? And really, like the vulnerability of it is, is, you know, it's vulnerable telling your story on this podcast, but it's also vulnerable being single parents with kids going, maybe we should date. Like, first relationship since you were in your 20s. You know, why did you guys do that? Kind of like since I was 16, 17, just that desire to be married, you know, for marriage and kids and family and all that stuff. And that still was, even though. <clears throat> there's a part of that that you know that dream did die but i i knew i just knew that there was a different experience mm-hmm. and i just had hope that there would be a different experience and i and i knew that i had done work on myself to the point that i wouldn't repeat yeah. some of those same mistakes right and so i knew that you know i just i had prayed a lot about the type of person that would look like um later on we both had stuff we'd written in prayer journals about things we prayed for specific characteristics of the person that, you know, would meet, would, would sort of meet the bar. Right. And it was some of the exact same things. One of the words we used in those early days of getting to know each other and dating was redemption. Like there's yeah. so much redemption in the yeah. way that we related to each other, the way that we spoke to each other, the way we spoke yeah. of each other. And it was so disorienting to me. It's like, yeah. I did yeah. not know I thought this was like a fairy tale thing where sure. you have like this depth and you're seen in, in this beautiful way. And that came really just naturally to us, mm-hmm. um, that depth and being able to share our hearts mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. just feeling loved and seen and all that and not judged yep. and um, held to some impossible standard like we had experienced for <laughs> most of yep. um, most of our previous marriages. Yeah. yeah. So when did you guys officially start dating? It was pretty quickly after the Shaved Eye Social and yeah. his oldest coming and mowing my lawn a couple times. And mm-hmm. um, July, It was July August. 2020. And when did you guys get married? February 2021. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
the, the reason why I ask, because if someone just read the dates, they would go, wow, that's so quick. You can do that when you've been working on yourself, when your identity is found in Christ and not in other people or a relationship. And you can do that when you hold on to grace and truth. And you can do that when you find somebody who's running at the same speed that you are. You guys spend a lot of time in the the dating phase just putting it all out there. And we did even, we knew pretty quickly that, okay, we're same direction, same pace, yep. um, same goals for the future. Like we want to do this, but this is going to be really hard. Yep. And so about two, actually less than two months into our dating relationship, we started going to see a counselor yep. who we still see, yep. um, the same the same person, um, because we wanted to make sure that we were starting this yep. off with um, encouragement, accountability, perspective. Yeah. And so we did start doing that mm-hmm. yeah. right away before we even got yep. engaged. Um, yeah. And this is just a, an encouragement for people listening. Like, well, once I'm just going to say it, some of you are in relationships you shouldn't be in because you want to stay in this dating relationship for years and years and years to figure out if they're the right person. And that's the indicator that they're not one. You need to focus on yourself and not selfishly focus on yourself. You need to focus on your own healing, your own growth, your own development, right? We, we say it, it's be the person who you're looking for is looking for. And you guys did that. So you guys got married in... February of 2021. You married us. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> which was, was like height of COVID, 20 people. And a lot of people would take that as a sign. Life's hard. Look at all crazy things. Are. I can't bring everybody to my wedding, but you guys are like, no, we just we know this is right, so we're going to do it. Um, one of the things we had talked about before recording today that I wanted to kind of dig into a little bit was, you know, there's a lot of healing in your marriages, but specifically you guys have now five kids. Talk to us a little bit about like, okay, so you did your own healing, which was good, but you can't ignore the fact that you also are having these children that are, are now mixed up and, and, and in this family together. So talk to us a little bit about like the blended family side of things. The oldest is a junior, junior in, high in high school and the youngest is second grade. second grade now. And so while you guys are similar in age, like your kids are not. And so what has that been like to kind of blend this family together um, to continue your own marriage, right? To not do what kind of got you guys in the past, which was like existing in a marriage where there are kids, but like going, nope, our marriage is one, kids are two, even in the blended side of it. But talk to us a little bit about that. Like, and ultimately you're giving us like advice and wisdom because there are a lot of blended families at Collective right now that you can kind of give some encouragement to. But talk to us a little bit about that. When we first started, we definitely tapped into resources. It's five to seven years for like a blended family to start to feel like wow. a family. That's wow. what the research says. Um, so we're very much in the thick of, you know, we're two and a half years in. So it's definitely not without challenges. For me, we've talked about like the whole struggle with passivity. It's really, that's again, I think come up for me throughout this is like an intact family, right? It's just kind of a natural, like it's this natural innate thing that just kind of happens and just works, right? But in a blended family, it requires so much more intentionality but with like a lot more relational intricacies and dynamics. Um, Cause you have all these different, it's not just that we're bringing our kids together and we're coming together, but it's also all these different personalities. And then, you know, the way my kids, you know, certainly I think the way our kids have been raised up until the point in which we got married sure. is like mine are, mine are older for one. And they've also experienced 
a lot more than probably they should at their age. I think divorce, yeah. kids go, th- kids grow up faster, right? Yeah. Whereas your kids were younger, so they didn't experience as much of that. So then we have this like, even though they're the same ages, they're kind of like here. Yeah. Um, you know, they're at different places, even developmentally, even though they're similar ages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just say patience um, and consistency. Um, something that Cole and I do on a constant basis. Um, is we just we talk through what we're doing, we evaluate it, yeah. and we say there there we need to change this, we need to make this better, we need to try something different, we need to like let this thing go. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. a lot that we just have to let go. I think one beautiful thing about our family is the way <laughs> the relationships that our kids have with each yeah. other. Mm-hmm. I just it kind of blows me away sometimes like they really have a lot of respect and love for each other and like the friendships that have formed Mm -hmm. i mean our daughters are so vastly different like their personalities are wildly different but i they are they're so Mm -hmm. tight they really are they really Mm -hmm. love each other a lot and spend so much time together um and i've seen we've seen their friendship deepen and even his son who's 13 and my son who's seven they have like this really sweet bond as well it's really fun to watch them play together and you know my son really brings out some of you know the um more childlike you know Mm -hmm. um joy and yeah yeah, and Mm -hmm. um and then you know dean tries to keep up with everything poor kid yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. but yeah Yeah. the the relationships that they have are encouraging um Mm -hmm. and they've just they've naturally gravitated towards each other and developed yeah their siblinghood yeah but one of the things that's been cool that i've loved is you know when you guys started blending this family um and jess when you officially stepped off staff at at collective and a big reason was because and you talked about this a little bit with your dad but like ministry is brutal Mm -hmm. schedules suck time is ridiculous and having a you know a new family new marriage blended family chaos of collective um great to be back together but also like having to navigate all the really the trauma of covid you know, stepping out to say, hold on, like marriage and family has to come first. But even that, there was a lot to balance. And one of the things that you guys have made sure to do is like, you make sure that when you guys are here every week, but like when your kids are all together, they're here every week. That's not something that I think, at least I personally see a lot in families that are kind of blended because like the, the passing off of kids and the handoffs and Sundays are a great day to do something with the kids. So you cancel church and you know, that type of thing, but you've made being here a priority for them as well. So tell us why that has been such like a core part to the schedule. So I think, of, I mean, I think first and foremost, obviously we want, we want to pass our faith on to our kids and we're not going to do that if we don't make Sunday morning a priority. But I think another thing we talk about a lot is, you know, as the kids get older, there's more people that speak into their lives, yeah. whether yeah. it's at school whether, you know, wherever it is, they go other places and they have more independence from us as parents. So it's not that our voice becomes lessened, but there's a sea of voices, yep. right? And so we want, and we pray this over them regularly, is like we want, we just want God to surround them with people who will love them and who will care about them. Like I mentioned earlier when I made the decision to move so far away from home, it's like, I, man, I want them to have friends who care about their spiritual development yeah. and their spirituality. Yeah. And where are they going to get that if they're not if they're not coming to church on Sunday and being a part of a community? Where are they going to get that? Yeah. So yeah, our life feels like chaos mm-hmm. a lot of the times, but the spiritual disciplines we've built into our home with our kids, you know, with with what we do on Sundays, 
has provided them with stability yep. that they need. Yep. And they can find that in faith because faith can be a part of their lives no matter where they are, no matter what age, no matter what life stage. So um, we want to show them that this is something that you can cling to, that can be a part of your life, that you can walk in and live out, yeah. um, regardless of just just how insane life can get. Yeah, and I, and I think to just add one other thing, I think from a blended family perspective, I think it's of even more heightened importance because you're kind of bringing these two different lives together. So you get these like sort of allegiances, right? Where it's like, well, this is how we did things. This is how we did things. But this is one of the things that we both did. Yeah. So it's like, it makes sense for both of our kids. Like our kids don't fight it because that's what we've always done. Yeah. So it's something we can all do together. And then that creates, in, in addition to the faith component, also creates something we do as a family. Yeah. yeah. It's a unifying yeah. thing. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. awesome. I think it's cool too to think about because your kids get older and they're all in, you know, the youth collective age and like, um, your youngest, like taking a step to join the team, like, but you've got just your kids that they now have siblings to follow, you know, whether or not the kids understand that, you know, is it, you know, they probably don't yet, but you know, even if it's a blended family, the way that the younger kids look at the, the older kids is like, no, you're, you're the older siblings in our life. And so there's just some really cool, um, you, you mentioned redemption, like it, it, you know, this is projecting years out, but it's going to be cool to see what that continues to look like in, in their faith and their life um, as well. And it's specifically as kids who I would say have grown up in this church, even though, Cole, your kids are a little bit older. They've been here almost since day one. You know, they <laughs> helped form Youth Collective, you know, in, in Jess's house. And um, Jess, your kids were two of the first kids to be in collective kids on a regular basis. You know, we, we joked the other day, there's 130, like three kids back there, which is incredible. But like, you know, your kids were going when there were 30 kids back there, right? Your kids were sitting in service when they were the only ones sitting in service, them and the, and the Cronkite boys. So it's just really cool. And the hope is at some point they, they, they see that and like what you've built into their life. Um, you guys have a, a beautiful love story at your wedding um, I remember you guys wrote your own vows and I'll, I'll tell, and whenever people are like, oh, we're going to write our own vows, I'm always like, oh no, like this is not going to go well. It's going to sound like the opening scene in, in Wedding Crashers. But you guys wrote these vows and they were essentially like snippets of the love letters that you had sent to each other. And it's beautiful, just shows like how much work you guys have done and like what you want this relationship to look like. You see it in your kids. And so... Um, what I would love to do is I would love to stop the story there and be like, and they all lived happily ever after. And because, especially because of how hard you guys have worked to heal and, and forgive and do, do all that stuff. Um, but one of the realities of life and one of the reasons we started this podcast was to point out that like life has peaks and valleys and then peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys. And I'd love for you guys to share a little bit about kind of what came next and it's vulnerable to sit here but you guys are kind of still in some vulnerability um with your daughter maggie and so if you don't mind just share what you're ready to share about that experience because it's hard so right now we're going to end this episode here yes that means for those of you listening that this is a three-parter and that's because i want to give Cole and Jess the right amount of time to talk about their daughter Maggie so thank you for joining us for part two of Jess and Cole's story and I can't wait for you to listen to part three next week 